When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Still having a look at slightly favors the right footer here, but Griffiths, having got the goal, goes again. Oh! Okay, really exciting Hand and Roar podcast this week. Looking forward to the Israel game, the playoff that everyone's waiting for on Thursday. It's Graham Alexander joining me, Andy Barge, for the podcast today. 40 caps for Scotland. No goals, we'll come to that. But uh, let's get started with things at the very beginning for you, Graham. In terms of Scotland, you were you were born in England. That's that's correct. But you have a Scottish dad. So were you raised very much with a Scottish heart? I was, yeah, yeah. I was born born in uh, bred in Coventry, right in the, the heart of England. And um, but you know, my dad's from Glasgow. My mum's from Dublin. You know, so there's there's no actual English blood in me. It's all uh, Celtic. You know, with the Scottish and Irish connection. But obviously. Being the first-born son and being close to my dad, you know, he brought brought me up to be and my brother to be Scotland supporters. And um, you know, you know, all I can remember is having Scotland kits as a kid. And and to be honest, I, I quite I quite liked it as a as a young kid. You know, you you quite like to be different. And you know, and I'm surrounded in the middle of England with just England fans early. And um, me and my brother were a bit different because we we had Scotland kits and uh, our parents were were out from the the country so it's, uh, we quite enjoyed that that sort of feeling different to everybody else and we were good back then so <laughs> <laughs> yeah no it was you know you know growing up in the the 70s and 80s you know um some of the players that played for Scotland then were were amazing and uh, I remember going down to a couple of England Scotland games down, down at Wembley back in the day you know we my dad and my granddad were members of the Tamashanta Club in, in Coventry and they used to do the, the coach journeys down and, and basically Scotland overtook London didn't it, for, for the weekend and uh, you know going down as a young boy to, to a couple of those games was a, a great experience but um, yeah you know it was sort of regular World Cups and stuff back, back yeah. then and uh, probably spoiled as a child you know supporting Scotland and um, but I'm sure them times will come back. So you must have been maybe around Ten years old or so, when you were going down to to Wembley uh, on the bus. Uh, yeah, it would have been. Yeah, it would have been the, the sort of late seventies, mm-hmm. um, early eighties. So probably, I, I don't know what. Probably about eight, between eight and eight and twelve. You know, for a couple of those games, and um, you know, you don't actually remember the actual matches. It's just the the buzz of going to the game on on the on the on the coach, you know, and, and going into to Wembley and and that sort of atmosphere, and then. And then coming home, it's you know you, it, it's weird what you remember from when you were when you were a kid. But you know the the bug was there early days, and and um, I ended up actually going to watch Scotland later later on in the World Cup in in ninety eight when my, my good friend Matt Elliott was in the squad, um, who I played and lived with when I was at Scunthorpe as a young player, and uh, you know that was be- four years before I even got my first cap. So it was um, well, you know I've, I've always been there. Were you there in the uh, in the crowds, or were you just as part of the travelling support? Were you in the crowds? No, no, no. I was. I was in. Um, you know, I've been trying to get a, a ticket off him for for a couple of weeks, and uh, he couldn't get one for the first game, which was understandable, you know, against Brazil. But uh, he got me a couple for the Norway game, and uh, me and my wife 
uh, drove down in the car, couldn't uh, get a hotel or anything. We actually slept in the car after the game, and then drove all the way back. So um, yeah, it was was in with the with the uh, the Tartan Army uh, for that game. It was it was it was brilliant. I could actually um, take it in. Then you know, I was twenty six, mm-hmm. so you know for the first time seeing Scotland since I was eight or nine. You know, live it was a brilliant experience. That's incredible and, and quite quite strange to think that everyone that surrounded you in the crowd will have had no had no idea that only four or five years later you would be one of the ones pulling on a jersey and playing in front of them. Yeah, that's right. No, it, look, nor did I at the time. <laughs> you know, I was I was I was twenty six. Obviously, um, I've been playing football for seven or eight years, but not at a level that would ever get me, you know, uh, international recognition for Scotland. So, um, you know, that was to come with my move to Preston, you know, a couple of years later. Um, in fact, it was the year after after that World Cup that I got moved to Preston. That sort of set in the, that journey. But um, yeah, at that time, you know, I'd, I didn't ever think that I'd, I'd pull on the blue jersey. Was it an ambition of yours when you were growing up playing football as a teenager, though, um, to to try and make it into the Scotland camp at some point? Yeah, yeah. You know, it's a dream. It's a long distance dream. From you know when you know I. I you know, I started football in the, the old fourth division in England, and I'd up until the age of 27, I'd only really played most of my football in the bottom two divisions. So the dream is there as a kid. You know, you're always you're running around. I always loved Graham Souness as a player. You know, that that he was my, my the idol I looked up to. I know, um, you know, the Liverpool were the massive team in the 70s and 80s in England, and you know, Alan Hansen, Souness, and, and Dalglish right through it with a with a heartbeat of Liverpool. So but Souness was the one for me. And um you always think how good it would be to to play for Scotland, play at Hamden and stuff like that. But I think probably by the mid twenties I'd I'd maybe let go of that dream a little bit because you know it seemed extremely far and uh I'd probably been uh, bitten by real life and, and <laughs> it was you know it's actually the the chances are very slim if next to nothing so to, to actually get there in the end was was amazing for me and not only just get there I mean 40 caps is, is quite something yeah you know I was, I was really fortunate I mean I got the first cap when I was 30 which is I would say quite unusual uh, um, I'd not actually played in the top level in England I was pretty much unknown north of the border um, I think I had to win a lot of people over um, and it took me quite a while to be honest um, but uh you know, I'm ever grateful for Bertie Volch. You know, he, he he tried a lot of untested players. I think the the amazing squad that Craig Brown had for a number of years sort of had drifted away and retired. And I think it gave the opportunity for a lot of other different players, um, mostly young people like James McFadden and Darren Fletcher and people like that. But there was a couple of oldies in there getting a chance, and I was one of those. And um, yeah, I managed to stay in there for on and off for the next seven years, and uh, it was. On every occasion, joining up with Scotland was special for me. Did you ever speak to Craig Brown or his staff? Were they aware of you um, before Bertie uh, in the um, Scotland D- camp? D- aware of you before Bertie? Uh, D- David Moyes did because um, obviously uh, David David would, uh, was my manager at Preston and, and pushed me for for a while to to Craig. Um, you know, but he had such an established squad there, we, and and these players, you know, you know, you're talking Christian Dailies and people like that. They're, they played in the Premier League for a number of years. So I couldn't, you know, I had absolutely no, you know, because Craig Brown was my manager at Preston after David left. Oh, of course, yeah. So, you know, so honestly, I had nothing, you know, nothing negative because I could I could understand why I wasn't picked. He did come down to watch me once. Um, but, um, you know, when, when the change of the the guard sort of came, that was my opportunity. And... Um, you know, Bert, Bertie gave me that. I still thank uh, David Moyes for pushing me that way. And uh, yeah, it was a, it was a, it was a, it was an unbelievable surprise when I got the first call up. It was, you know, it was like really. And um, but I felt I was playing really well. Uh, I was good, but I was pretty much unknown north of the border. So you, you said the dream had died slightly when you got to your mid twenties. So when Bertie Volts took over, and he did seem to be calling up people that were more inexperienced, did you see that as a window of opportunity that you just wanted to jump right through? Um, I, do you know what? It was, it was something that, you know, that David Moyes in, sort of 
uh, lit the fuse paper probably a year before, you know, that he, you know, he told me that he'd been pushing for me to be included in a squad or to be at least scouted and watched, which was massive for me. You know, I was, I was probably 29 and I, I just thought those days were beyond me or behind, you know, they weren't achievable at my age, certainly. Um, and they, I got a bit of interest, but I, I still thought it was a long shot. Like I say, I was 29, 28, 29, and you're pretty much a realist at that time. You know, you, you dream, you've still got your ambitions, but you realised how difficult it is. And, so, and some of the players that were involved in the Scotland squad as well. So um, when when I did get that call, it was from Preston. Someone at Preston asked me to to get my birth certificate out, you know, to, to prove I was Scottish because I was in a preliminary, preliminary uh, squad. I, I, I couldn't believe it. And, and the phone call to me dad to say, can you send up my birth certificate? And when he asked why, it was just it was phenomenal. It was one of the best phone calls I've ever received and then passed on sort of thing. The pride must have been bursting out of you and him through the phone line. Yeah, it, it, honestly, it was it was it was quite emotional. To be fair, you know, we're, we're not emotional people, me and my dad, really. But um, it was something that I dreamed of as a kid, and you know, and my dad had took me all over the place as a as a kid playing football and and, and watching football. And um, you know, for it, for him to see, see, see his son called up for Scotland and and play and make his debut was um, you know, and then continue to play was you know him and my granddad and my granddad was from Glasgow as well and they used to come up to the games as often as possible and it was uh, amazing to give them back you know sort of that what they helped me to achieve you know and um, it, it was a really rewarding experience not just for myself getting international recognition but knowing how much it meant to my family as well. Did your dad and, and grandfather raise you supporting any Scottish teams or were you a local English team kind of boy? Um, yeah, yeah, I'm, uh, Rangers. They, they they supported Rangers <laughs> all, all their lives. So um, you know, it was uh, yeah, it's that that's where the the support was uh, from the Rangers side. And um, you know, it's uh, I've had a couple of chances to go up to a couple of games over the years with a couple of pals like you know people like Callum Davidson and Ross Wallace who I played with. You know, we we got in a car and, and drove up for a couple of games when we could get tickets. So. Yeah, that was um, no, that that was our, our team as a as a kid. And if at that stage of your career, late twenties, Ireland had come calling, what would you what do you think you would have done? You know, what, I I think I would have played. Yeah, I think I would have played. I I, I felt um, you know, look, I, I wasn't. Um, I, I felt. I think. I think international football for me, anyway. What what it meant to me was it was like more than football. I think it was. You know, it's not it's not about points or bonuses, or it's about representing your heritage and your your country or your your family. And, and my family is Scottish and Irish. You know that that was that was it. But Scotland was the the country I was supported as a, as a kid and had kits. Um, you know, and my dad made sure of that. <laughs> but um, you know, I, I'm proud of my Irish roots as well. You know, my mum being born in Dublin and coming across, I'm, I'm proud of that connection as well. I think it would have been great to to do that for my mum as well, you know, and, and my, my Irish side of the family. But, you know, if I was just me as a single entity, it, it was Scotland for me because I just, that was the team I, I grew up supporting. So, um, yeah, but those were the two teams. I know I was born in England, but that, that would never have floated in my boat. You know, it, would, it just wouldn't have. I've never, never felt that inclination at all. I suppose your dad's influence is, is a massive factor of it when you grow up a football fan. If 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 it was switched around and your dad was Irish and your mum was Scottish, it, it would it may well have been Ireland that you felt close to growing up. You know? Yeah, I think I think it would have been. Yeah, I think it would have been. You know, I think you know, um, yeah, it, I, I think definitely. You know, mm -hmm. I think my, you know, your, your dad and you go, he takes you to the games. You know, and and uh, he you know to watch and you know and then to your own football matches and so forth. So that was the, the strongest influence. But um, you're probably right. If, if it had been the other way around, my dad was Irish, it, it might have been more, more towards that way. When you got involved then, you're saying there that you found out um, from Preston saying you need to send your birth certificate up to the SFA. Is that really how it's it's done? It was there, were there no phone calls, no emails, no nothing? It was a, it was a preliminary squad. It was, you know, I think they'd... They'd named a preliminary of I don't know maybe thirty players, and um, so they just wanted. I, obviously, 
probably born and, and bred in, in Coventry in England and they just wanted to make sure, you know, because I think there has been a couple of players from maybe other countries. I think Tony Cascarino was a famous one for Ireland. But probably actually that connection was just a myth or something. <laughs> but, um, so I think everyone was being ultra careful uh, at that time. So I think they'd, they'd, they'd contacted Preston, you know, to say this was the scenario. And then obviously Preston wanted the, the birth certificate. So um, I was just making sure my dad's, had it <laughs> yeah so that that was great it was but then it was really it was really nerve-wracking because i wasn't you know verified definitely to be in the squad so then it was um, oh sorry sorry what's happening there are you still there <laughs> yeah got you my phone, my phone's connected to my, to my laptop so um <laughs> so um yeah and then the weight was to be actually definite in the squad and that and that was, you know, it, it becomes real then when you you get the the, the sort of um, the idea that you you possibly in the squad. If it had been taken away from me, then it would have killed me. You know, it would have killed me. You know, and uh, but when when it was named in the official squad, that was um, yeah, it was brilliant, absolutely brilliant. Moyes chuffed for you as well. He was. It, it was really weird because he just left um, Preston and um, about a month before, and uh, he. he um, he went round all the players on on the day he left, and spoke you know spoke to us all. But then he, he took me to the side and he said, "Look, I'm still going to be pushing your your case." You know, he was just off to manage Everton and keep them in the Premier League, and he was still thinking about my career. And then um, I think he said he had a, a meeting with uh, Bertie Votes about trying to get Duncan. I think Bertie wanted Duncan Ferguson to play again. Mm-hmm. And I think um, so. I think he was at a meeting with David Moyes, and uh, and and Davey said, "I'm still going to push you, push your case." So a month later, I end up making my debut, and um, yeah, look, I, I I wouldn't have if I hadn't have signed for David Moyes. What three three years before that, I, I, I wouldn't have played for Scotland. Not not a chance. I wouldn't have got to that level. What was your first impression of Bertie Volks then? Um, I think the general consensus among former players that I've interviewed, seem, they seem to regard him as, as very kind, very uh, generous, friendly guy. Um, but for some reason, it just it didn't work out in the long term for Scotland. But I suppose when you were called up to play under him and you're thinking, well, this guy has won the Euros with Germany as a coach. He, he's played uh, in World Cup finals. It's You must think it's only going to go one way. Yeah, definitely. Um, no, he was to... He was a great guy. He great, great guy. But he, I think he was, he was brilliant on the on the training pitch with the players. I think he was really personable off it. I think he um, had a genuine affection for his players, um, and uh, and he was a winner. That, that that was certainly the case. I remember our first or my first training session with Scotland, and we were doing you know, sort of one on one defending and. Uh, he wanted us to be really aggressive. I mean, proper aggressive. You know, he was one of the world's best defenders. At you know when he played and won the World Cup and so forth. And um, so you're listening to everything. You know, as a even though I was, I was 30 years old, but I was a fullback and I was. I think I'm being coached by a World Cup winning defender here. And uh, and I remember I, I caught I was up against Neil McCann on, on the session and I, I sort of caught him with my elbow. He fed him one, one v one, but little by you know by accident. But I'm being a bit physical, and I was eager to please. And 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 Bertie was like like I'd won the lottery. He was, he loved it. He loved <laughs> it. I, you know, I was I think I gave uh, Neil a, a little bit of nosebleed or a cut lip or something. You know, pure accident. But he he was like that's that's it. That's what we need to be. You know, aggressive and that. And um, and he wanted us to be like that as a team. I, I don't think I think the only thing with Bertie probably was. Did he actually understand the Scottish player and mentality? You know, it was, I, I don't know. And, and and you think of the level of players he, oh, sorry, what level of player he was, what level of players he'd been used to working with. I'm sure, and there's no disrespect to myself, really, or the other Scotland boys, we weren't probably at the level that, of the players that he'd coached before. And maybe that was where it fell down a little bit. But, you know, you, you can't say he wasn't a, a good coach and a, and a good manager with what he'd done. Um, but something sometimes it, it doesn't quite work out. And, um, you know, it was a, a different... I, I felt really sorry for him when he was getting a hard time. I'm, I know he's a tough and hardened professional. 
And um, but I thought he got a really tough time, as you can do in football, you know, which uh, we all understand. But you know, he was. Um, you know, I, I never felt he turned on us as players. For it, he always took the brunt, understood it, and um, just wanted the best for us. So, do you think then that perhaps he expected too much of the squad and the players on a technical level, um, and maybe didn't realise that a lot of Scotland's I think strengths um, come from a, a desire and a will to win. Yeah, I, I think look, he wanted us to have a desire and a will to win, and he he had that, and and, and he could see we we have that as well. But I think maybe maybe um, you know I, I think Scotland had been a, an extremely hard team to beat, you know, and, under Craig Brown. I think their their defensive record was phenomenal, really, and probably the basis of you know getting to World Cups and and, and doing so well. Um, I think Bertie wanted to play in a bit more of a up and atom type style. I think he, he maybe thought that's what Scotland was about, and um, but I don't know if we had the capabilities to do that, to be honest. Or we might do on a one-off basis and and get a result from it, but I don't I don't know if we can consistently do that. So, um, but that, that's just me looking at from a <laughs> twenty years down the line sort of thing, you know, uh, experience and and but. I think, uh, you know, he, it's difficult. You've worked in Germany all your life, all your career, and then you, you come to Scotland. It's, it's going to be a, a different culture, different mentality. Um, but, you know, I've got su- such a lot to thank him for. For You know, he was, you know, I, I think I won 12 or 13 caps under him. And um, it, was, it wasn't, a, I wouldn't say, a, a successful time for Scotland. And it certainly wasn't a, an easy time to play for Scotland for me, you know, coming into it. And I think I... Got a lot of stick at the time as well from virtually everybody because I was unknown. I was English born. You know, I was one of Bertie's boys and so forth. And probably that respect that I maybe later got was when I was picked under other managers. But um, it was certainly Bertie that gave me my opportunity. You bring me nicely onto my next point because looking at your first bunch of caps, there was defeats to Nigeria, South Africa. Denmark and Korea, it certainly was a, a difficult time to be a Scotland player, given that Bertie Volks did seem to be you know, flinging a lot of mud uh, and hoping that some of it would stick. You were, you, you did stick, you were around for the next seven or eight years, but you look at other players perhaps like Morris Ross, Kevin Kyle, Gareth Williams, Scott Dobie, they didn't really hang around for much longer. Do you think that the level of consistency among the squad was something else that perhaps let Bertie votes down. Possibly, yeah, yeah. I think, but the, I think, um, yeah, it, it was an experimental time. I think, you know, I think he was trying to to give players the opportunity, and you know, um, it was blooding a lot, a lot of new players. And I think, I think it it was a difficult period for him, probably. You know, with that, you know, not knowing, you know, every player, and and, and we were coming from a lot of different levels. You know, I think. You know, um, myself, I was in, I was in the championship. You know, and Mo Ross was a young player at, at Rangers, so it was, you know, it was a. The, the squad did seem to have a lot of turnover and change. I, I can understand that, but you know, I, I remember, you know, the, my debut was against Nigeria Aberdeen, so I, I played in that game. Uh, the came on at half time, but I remember going to Korea in that summer, and it was the World Cup year. We we played Korea. South Korea, I mean, I think it was 24 hours after getting off the plane. And they'd been together for six months, you know, getting ready for their World Cup. And honestly, they absolutely destroyed us. But I think they got to the World Cup semi-finals. Yeah, yeah, they were a good team, you know. Yeah, so it was like, you know, at first it was like, how, how, you know, there was a lot of stuff flying about going, South Korea battered us, this, that, but then I think they beat Italy and uh, or Spain. Spain as well, yeah. Got to the World Cup semi-finals. So I think... It put in perspective actually that sort of little period, but there was it, it was a there's no getting away from it. It was a difficult period. It was there was a lot of flack flying about for everybody, um, but it never took away for me anyway the the, the the special feeling of of going to play for Scotland. I never once wanted to duck out of it or anything like that. I was like I'm playing for my country here. You know what I mean? It was I desperately wanted to win a game. You know what I mean? So I could, <laughs> And, I, and you know, I, you know, and certainly at Hamden Park, but um, yeah, it was it was a difficult period. Did it affect you mentally 
the obstacles you're saying there that you had to overcome, being an English-born person in the squad, playing in an unsuccessful team and a bit of an unknown to the Scottish fans up here. How, how difficult is it to deal with? Um, it was it was difficult because it, it seemed to be, um, you know, you, as, a, as a player, you read the papers the day after and you're looking at it and you and you get sucked into it. And I was always getting battered, basically, you know, by the media and everything like that. And, you know, why are they picking this 30-year-old English man who's never played in the, in the top level, overlooking, you know, the, young players at Rangers, mm-hmm. Celtic, this, that, the other, in the Premier League in England and stuff. And I, and I can understand it from that perspective. So, But for me, it was the most special time for me, being involved with the Scotland squad. And... and but I felt, you know, it was afterwards. It was like, flipping hell, this is tough as well. And it was, but it never, it never made me go. Well, I don't want to do it. You know what I mean? It, it meant everything to me. And uh, so it was. It took, like I say, I think it took me until I think it was until I played under Walter. To be honest, that the uh, the media, especially, began to accept me a little bit as a Scotland player. Can you draw comparisons between your experience and? what Ollie McBurney might be going through at the moment. He's a very easy target at the moment for Scotland fans. He's, he's had maybe nine or ten caps, none of them very good. He's not off the mark yet, goal-scoring-wise. He's English-born, and he's pulled out of a few squads. And he has painted a bit of a target on his back for himself. Um, do you think, I'm not suggesting that you did that, you're saying that you are committed and everything, but McBurney at the moment seems to be uh, one, of, one of the one of the scapegoats in the Scotland squad when it's not going well. Is that how you felt? A little bit, yeah. Yeah, a little bit. But, um, you know, it's, it, it, it can be. Like, I, think, I think, look, it's not just Scotland's team or, or in Scotland. There's always a villain. <laughs> if things ain't going well, you know, England, wherever it is, there's always someone that's going to get the brunt of it. It's, um, it's usually the manager nowadays. But, um, you know, the, the players will get it. And, and rightly so, if they're not, you know, performing to what level, but um, yeah, I, th- I, th- I think as a an English-born player, I think you have to really prove your creden- credentials more. I, 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 you know, you have to, and, and I can understand that. You know, I was, you know, I was brought up in a household that was just Scottish and Irish, and and, <laughs> and certainly from the Scottish side, the love for the English wasn't really there. So. <laughs> Yeah, you know what I mean. So I, you know, I always that's why I've never had an affinity with England, and I think it's from that sort of atmosphere in my household that you know there, there is that um, rivalry, that fierce rivalry. So I can understand it. You know, it's I, I have it myself. I have it myself. You know, um, so uh, you know, and I was born in England, so mm-hmm. I, I can imagine that that feeling. Oh, I, I know what that feeling is. So. Um, I think you, you have to, but players can not score or not play well for various reasons. And I'm sure there's a lot of Scottish-born players that haven't played well for Scotland over the years. And mm-hmm. you know what I mean, and, and that, that's the, the aspect. I think it, I think a player just wants to go and play well. Um, you, I, I, I'm not uh, party to the reasons why he hasn't turned up for certain squads. I, I, I couldn't comment on that at all. But um, I think if Steve Clark still wants to pick him and still sees him as a player that can uh, contribute to Scotland, then I think everyone has to back Steve Clark's decision. And, and I think if he didn't see any commitment from Ollie McBurney, I, I'm sure he wouldn't pick him. Let's move on to the 2003 playoff against Holland then. The the team needed to beat Lithuania at Hamden to get there. Uh, young Dan Fletcher scored a winner shortly after coming off the bench. Do you remember a particular tension in the build-up to that game, knowing how much was on the line? Yeah, I mean, there was always a there was always a tension. I think um, around, around certainly around the the games coming towards the end of the groups and and um, at Hamden and and everything like that. So, uh, and when the the opportunity is to, you know, it only been what you you're looking at probably four or five years since the last tournament. So it's not the massive build up it is now. You know, yeah, it's for sure. So long, but. There was still, uh, you know, an expectancy for us to qualify for, for tournaments. That's that was probably probably different to what it is now. Um, I think it's turned into more of a hope and a and a dream. Yeah. Rather, back then it was it's still an expectancy. So, um, 
you know, it was it was there for us. But you know, we I think we were quite confident that we could win win the game and, and get to the to the playoffs, which obviously we did. In those situations when Fletcher scores a winner like that, when the ball hits the net or at full time, is it more of an outpouring of relief rather than joy? Um, I, th- I think now that I'm a manager, um, I think it's, as a management and coaches, I think it's more of a relief. I think as a player, it's joy. Right, okay. I think it's joy. Yeah, definitely, definitely. I think it's it's that you know it's a joy that you, you you're excited about what's to come next. You know, um, what you're going to possibly achieve, or you, you know, and going to a major tournament. You know, like, like you say, it was a, there was a lot of uh, inexperienced players in that squad, players who hadn't, you know, um, been to any major tournament before. Probably the majority of it. Um, so that was our ambition to do that. You know, and for me, I'd have been what 30, 31 maybe um, to have that opportunity to possibly go to a major tournament. You know. Beyond, so you know it was. Uh, yeah, the the stakes were high, but then obviously we got an incredibly tough. tough. Yeah. When when you go back to club football after a game like that, knowing you're going back to international duty a month later to play in a playoff, do you get ever get distracted at your at your club level when you've got a massive international game coming up? Because I think for the vast majority, correct me if I'm wrong, that club football kind of rules above all that's who pays the wages that's what your day job is and international football I suppose is a bit extracurricular it's special so when there is a, a massive occasion like that coming up be it the, the Holland playoff or the Italy game at Hamden that sort of thing d- does your mind wander when you're at your club side at all? It, do you know what I was, I was probably it was easy for me to separate because I played in England so the you know that result against Lithuania and that wouldn't have been massive news in mm-hmm. this side of the border. That, that's the, the reality. You know, everyone would have been talking about whatever England were doing at the time and mm-hmm. papers would have been full about England. So from my perspective, it would have been easier. I think it would have been more difficult for the players that are playing in Scotland. You know, seeing the papers every day and the, and the media and, and listening to everything about this build-up for a month. You know, it was probably detached from it, you know, being down south. Um, okay. So it was quite, you know, and... We, we were always competing to try and get in the Premier League at Preston. So it had been quite easy to come straight back into the run of championship games and, and, and try and win those. So I, I, I never, ever felt that I was distracted by... The, the, the Scotland games were a bonus for me. You know, it was like the I was eating my cake every Saturday <laughs> playing for Preston in the Championship and then the icing was getting the opportunity to go play for Scotland, you know, it, Every six weeks or eight weeks, it was um, it was brilliant having that to look forward to. You know, it was it was there, but you know, the the concentrating focus was on on the club football. Yeah. Do you remember drawing Holland because it was a free draw? There was no seedings. Scotland could have drawn Latvia, Wales, Norway, Slovenia, other clubs similar to our level. Do you remember realizing that it was Holland? I can't remember that. I can't remember it wasn't seeded, and we could have had some. (laughs) Some of those um, no, I can't. I can't actually. I just, uh, you know, obviously, I hadn't been party to international football for a long time at that point. So it was just like we we get to playoffs and we play, we play, and you know, um, yeah. But it was obviously a, a really, a really tough one. You know, their, their squad was fantastic with the, with the players did, but um, yeah, we gave them a little bit of a fright, <laughs> just a bit. But talk to me about some of the young players you mentioned a moment ago that were coming through and starting to cement a place. In the side, we had Dan Fletcher, we had uh, James McFadden, and then shortly after that was was Kenny Miller. Did anyone, even out with those three, or including, did anyone particularly impress you at that point? Yeah, no, I think um, you know Fletch came in, in into the squad probably around. I, I don't know if he was the squad before me or squad after, or around the same time. But you know, obviously from different uh, journeys and. Uh, Fantastic lad, great, great lad. You know, obviously playing for one of the biggest clubs in the world, but so down to earth, so hard working, massively passionate about playing for Scotland. Um, you know, and um, he, he, he was, uh, it was good. It was good to have that experience for, for me, even though I was thirty years old. But to be able to um, see these young players coming through, James McFadden immediately caught the eye because of the way he played. You know, I remember when he first joined, he had this really long ponytail like <laughs> back of his head. It was like, 
you know, who, who's this guy? And I, you know, he was only a young guy, but he was phenomenal on the ball. I mean, unbelievable. And just wanted to look, make you, chip you, and think the keeper. And just as as Bertie, you know, um, described him as like a cheapy, cheeky chapper, you know, that that gallus, that, that, that put, and you could see it, you know, he was, he, he, I, I love playing with Fatty, you know, because you, you know, he, even the, the, the big games, when you, you knew you're up against it and you, you how are we going to beat these? It was like, well, I think Fatty might produce something. <laughs> you know, you know, well, there's, and, there's, and, there's hard evidence of that in 2007. Yeah, there, there, is, there is, and I think, I think when you're a team that you know, when you come up against the big guys, you, it's going to be a tough battle and you, and you're looking for that. Uh, who, who's who's possibly going to turn this game for us? Who's going to give us that opportunity? And you've got a player like Fadi who didn't care who he's playing against and could produce anything out of the blue, which is obviously he went on to prove. Um, he, he was he was good. He, he was great to train with and play. Loved that these boys loved training, loved being being out there. And it was um, I always I always as an experienced player, I did this all the way through my thirties. I always felt those young players being around them gave me some extra energy as a, an experienced player, you know, because you see the the cockiness, the the naivety, the, the just just the constant enjoyment of the game. And and that, that was brilliant to be around. So there was yeah, and obviously Kenny, I think I played against Kenny a couple of times yeah, anyway already. And um, you know, he, he was uh, always a, a difficult player to play against. And um, yeah, he, he was uh, he turned into a really good player for Scotland over the next, you know, eight to ten years, you know, scoring some really important goals for us. Try and give us an idea of what it's like then in the lead up to a playoff when you're with the Scotland camp. Um, it's it's a the build up is massive, you know the, the you know the you're in the hotel and you're away from everything, but the papers are delivered every every day to everybody and they're they're all around and it's every every page is on on the on the games. Uh, all the news, the, the Sky Sport, it's all on the Scotland, the, the game. That so the build up to it is really good. We we always um, we 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 always had a good atmosphere. I felt around the, the Scotland squad, you know, being based up at Loch Lomond, training at Dunbarton, being on the bus, and um, and, and you were just inside. You just wanted to be in that team, but you know, yeah, and, and there's you know a 20, 23 man squad and. And you want to be involved in the biggest games, so there was a, a real competitive element to the start of the week. Certainly, you know, trying to show the manager that you're ready to play, that you want to be in that team, and um, so that that was always good. And I think um, I think the managers liked it like that, you know, to 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 see it competitive and see who, who can compete and be ready to play that game. Towards the end of the week, the last couple of days, you. You're sensing from training who's possibly going to be playing. You probably you probably know eight eight of those players, you know, until the team's named, um, and you just you're still hoping out. Come on, can I can I get in that team? And um, obviously, when he names the team, I, I wasn't in it, but I think the, the the team ethic takes over. Then you just you just want to win the game because you know if the team's successful, you could be going to a tournament. So. It was a real different feeling to when I was left out at club football. It didn't, you know, I was fortunate it didn't happen that often. But when I was left out of club football during the season, it was the worst feeling. You, you were quite selfish. You wanted, you had to go and fight your corner because you think, well, you don't want to be out of the team for the next six months, so you're fighting your place. But when it's a one-off or a two-game thing, you just want the team to win because you want to go to that tournament. So. Um, it was amazing atmosphere that, that, that you know against Holland in the first leg, you know, and uh, the result was was amazing. Um, but uh, yeah, the build up was quite quite intense, I think. So a, a nervous and slightly excited anticipation is maybe the best way to describe it. Yeah, definitely. I, I think you'd be weird if you if you didn't have nerves um, going into big games like that. Um, but it's it's important you control those emotions and control those nerves and, and focus on what you have to do to win the game. You know, I think, um, and uh, and then the, the excitement kicks in. I think when you're on the bus traveling to the game, you know, you're, you're getting closer to Hamden. You're seeing the, the supporters, the, the flags, and everything. And then you, you come down the tunnel into Hamden, go underneath, and that's when that's when it kicks in. You know, you're getting the butterflies in the stomach, and you you just you want to be out there. You want to be out there and playing in front of the crowd and, and trying to win. It's uh, 
you know, it's, it's one of the best feelings ever. That anticipation for a massive game is, is great. As you mentioned, you, you were in the squad but didn't make it off the bench for the Holland ties. If you shut your eyes, can you remember McFadden's goal? Can you still see it as if it was yesterday and the yeah. emotions that, out, that outpoured afterwards? Yeah, it was um, definitely. Yeah, I remember it. it was like him and Fletch, wasn't it? A little build-up goal and there was a deflection on the on the finish. But, um, you know, to, to then see out the game 1-0, you know, it was... It was brilliant. It was it was amazing. The atmosphere inside Hamden was phenomenal. It was when it was full, you know, because later on I played a few more games, you know, against France and stuff, and it was full and got great results. There's no better place to play play football. It was it was amazing, and it and it was that day. And and even though obviously I didn't get on the pitch, it was still I felt a part of it, and that that was a, a quite an unusual feeling, I think, for me. I, you know, I, like I say, I was quite fortunate in my career that I played a lot of games and. Did, didn't sit on on my back backside too much, so you know it was unusual. But I did understand. You know, I looked around the squad, and there was some brilliant players in there, and uh, and we all wanted the same thing. We always wanted we all wanted to play, but we all wanted to win and win for Scotland. So yeah, it was a brilliant atmosphere, and um, you know we we had a we had a few drinks that night to to celebrate. You know, um, a great result, but obviously we had the, the hard work to do a few days later. Given the way that everybody speaks about him, not only will the players have been delighted for yourself and each other, but also, I suppose, delighted for Bertie Bolts getting a big result like that. Yeah, yeah, I think that, you know, if, if we would have won the second leg and and um, and got to the tournament, I think that would have made all the, the flack that he got yeah. and we got worthwhile. You know, that it would have been, because it, it was a brilliant result, the first leg. And... Um, Probably unexpected from a lot of people, and I couldn't see why. Um, but it was a, a great result nonetheless, and um, I, it was a you know the change room was bouncing after the game. But for Bertie as well, I think you know I think everyone felt really good for him that you know for all the trials and tribulations he, he had that that um, occasion to see Scotland against Holland, and obviously. I think he had a lot of rivalry with Holland during his, his playing days and everything. And uh, so to beat them in the first leg was was great for everyone. How, how was he in the build up to to that game? Do you know what I think? I think I think for Bertie it was just another big game. I, th- I think he probably become, became accustomed to big games as a player and as a manager. <laughs> you know, I don't. You know, I think he was probably more used to those type of games than any other person in that stadium. I'll be honest. Um, you know, when you've played World Cup finals and and uh, you managed European Championship finals, you know, there's there's no bigger games. You know, it's uh, so. I think he was probably the most experienced person in that stadium. So um, I think that might have give us a confidence that you you know he's been there, seen it, and done it. You know, as well, it's going into that. So you're being led by somebody who knows what it's about. And did that second half against the Netherlands feel like an eternity at Hamden? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it does because you just, you know, you're playing against a, a fantastic team with unbelievable players and, and you just want to get the result. Yeah, that's it. it, it in a game like that and a, a, um, with what's at stake, it's just about the result. It's not about how you play. It's about getting that result, getting over the line. And, and for us, you know, we were we would have probably been happy with a draw. In the in the first leg, you know, and keep it alive going into the second leg. So to to actually win it um, was brilliant, but it might have awoken the beast in Holland and um, lit a fire under their backsides. You touched on how good it was to play at Hamden and those sort of environments. It has come into criticism, and you'll you'll be no stranger to that um, for its atmosphere at times when there are only perhaps twenty twenty five thousand people there. Yeah. Um, Scottish Cup semi-finals, Scotland friendlies, or Nations League games against Albania—that kind of thing—and people urging the the games to be played around the country. Maybe at stadiums like uh, Tyne Castle and Easter Road, Pataudry, Rugby Park, that sort of thing. Um, but you would very much like to see the the big games remain at Hamden rather than be moved to Murrayfield, for example, or be moved to Ibrox or or Parkhead. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, I made my debut at Pataudry. You know, so Scotland played Nigeria there, so made my debut there. I did, I did play at Tyne Castle, I did play at 
Easter Road, so for Scotland. Um, so, you know, I, I played at those grounds for, for the friendlies. And I, I think it was good. I think it was it was good, um, you know, because it, it, the crowd was a, it was a bit fuller, a bit, bit of a bit better atmosphere. And I did play in some games, you know, um, at Hamden when there was 15, 20,000 there. And it, it, I can't say that was a great atmosphere, I, I'll have to admit. But for me, playing at Hamden meant more to me than playing at some of the club grounds, personally. You know, playing for Scotland, you, you always think about playing at Hamden Park. So for me, as a, as a, as a footballer, it meant more to me playing at Hamden for Scotland than it did elsewhere. But I can understand the, the, if, the, if the crowds are not coming to, to Glasgow to see the games at Hamden, can you take around the country, to, uh, around the country sorry, to do that? And obviously Murrayfield is a fantastic stadium and, and, and that. So um, I can understand why that would be moved about. But I, I do think as a player, you want to play for Scotland at Hamden. Me, I did anyway. You know that that was that was my feeling. You know the because of the history and the heritage and what it meant there. So um, for me, that you know when I played for Scotland, I mean I made my debut, so I probably played my first three or four games not at Hamden. I can't. I'm not actually sure which my first game was there, but underneath me or inside me, if 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 I hadn't played for Scotland again and I hadn't played at Hamden, I'd have been gutted. You know, I would have been, I would have been gutted. You know, the, I would almost felt like I didn't play for Scotland if I hadn't played for Scotland at Hamden. Do you know what I mean? So playing uh, playing at Hamden is is a box to tick adjacent to actually pulling on the jersey. Yeah, yeah, for me, for me, it was yeah, for me, definitely. Um, you know, it's it's the the equivalent of what Wembley means to to England fans and, and players. So um, that that's what it was. Uh, you know, playing for Scotland was brilliant, and then. And I ticked that box and I was like, so I just wanted to play. You know, sing National Anthem, play, pull on the shirt. Then after that, I was like, right, I want to play at Hamden. You know, I want, I want to play at Hamden. So to, that, that for me, I think it adds an extra uh, feeling onto to playing for the, for the country anyway. I'll not dwell too much on the second leg. I just want to ask you, can you remember at what stage did you realise, nah, this, is, this has gone too far now? Yeah, I mean, it was... That pretty, pretty, pretty early on. I think um, you know it was, it was horrendous. You know, I'll go. I mean, it was horrendous. You know, it was it was a disaster, really. The, the I got, you got you got to think of who you're playing against and the and the players that are in that team. You know, and uh, and, and you're playing away from home, so it was it was a mammoth task for us to actually go and win that game. But going there with one 0 lead, you want to you want to be in the game. You want to make it difficult. You want to make it hard and. And um, but they had too much quality for us. Schneider scored quite an early goal. I think maybe yeah. ten or fifteen minutes in. I think from that moment on, you realise shit. Well, you, you've you've lost what you had when you you when you went there. You know, you you go in there with something in your hand and you want to protect it and you want to want to keep hold of it. And then when you lose, you you've lost that early on. I think psychologically that can that can hurt you. You know, I think when I. When I think back to us beating France twice and that, you know, we kept it a nil-nil for a long time, frustrated them, and we always had something on our hands, which makes you dig in and, and grind away. But that was lost reasonably early against Holland, and, that, and I think that's what ultimately went went against us. Did you feel it was a natural time for Bertie Volt's reign to come to an end shortly after that? Um, no, I didn't. No, I think um, I think it'd been for a real tough time, but. You know, winning the first leg was a, a massive boost for everybody. Obviously, the the contrast in the result for the second leg was, you know, night and day. You know, if we'd have maybe gone out as Scotland tend to do in in glory, sometimes you know, and and been tight, been been close, it might have helped build momentum from putting up a good show and, and a good fight. Um, but it was a you know, it, it was a, a bad result and. Um, it was, it was it was the draw in Moldova, I think, was the final nail. And was it? I can't, I can't remember I'm which. Sure, I'm sure it was right at the end. But yeah, you know, I, I saw when we were coming back from the Faroe Islands, and this, uh, you know, after I think it was a draw, mm -hmm. and um, the stick Bertie got was was frightening. And I met, I remember being on a little ferry coming across, and the media just being around him, like, and it was it was horrendous to watch as a player. Quite intimidating. 
first time I'd ever seen it or witnessed it. And it, and I just, I, I, didn't, I didn't enjoy that at all. I didn't like it. I actually felt for Bertie because I knew what a genuine guy he was. And what, let's, let's be honest, a football legend. Mm-hmm. You know, you're not talking about someone who out of his depth here. Or you're talking about a football legend here mm-hmm. who had achieved amazing things. And to to get that treatment, I felt was it was difficult to witness. You know, because we knew him as a as a person as well as a, as a manager. So um, it didn't quite work out. It didn't quite work out. But he did put he did change things, and he did put a, a start in place for the next few years. Is it that sort of behaviour sometimes that you feel can fracture relationships between the press and players? Uh, look, it's not nice to witness. It's not nice to be a part of. Them. Not you know. Look, I think we we knew the the game against Farrow was weren't a, a great result. You know, two two, um, and and there's no real getting around. You know, you can say this and that. The other, it's it's not a good result, but it, it can be quite vicious. That 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 media attention and that that sort of feedback and. Uh, I just think it crossed the line sometimes, you know, and that's not just at that particular moment. I'm talking about media elsewhere and it can happen down in England as well. You know, if you go back to Graham Taylor and stuff like that, it can be personal. And I, I, don't, I don't think when it gets personal, I, I think that's crossing the line, personally. I think it has to be professionally. And a lot of it was professional. You know, you can understand that. And it's hard to actually, um, if it's facts and it's professional, then you have to hold your hands up. And I'm sure Bertie would have held his hands up and say, this weren't good enough at the time or this, that, and the other. But then sometimes, you know, I think it, it got, it crossed the line, I felt at the time, but I hadn't witnessed a lot of it. And um, and I really felt for him. And, 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 and it makes you aware, actually, you can be on the defensive then after that. And, and, uh, and I could understand it from my side because I've got it no, nowhere near to the level of that. But I was getting it in match reports and stuff like that. But, you know, I, I, whenever I spoke to these guys personally, they were always good guys, the media media fellows, you know, because we flew on the same planes, we were at the same airport for all the away games. And, and I felt they were generally good guys, but there was, a, I think, a need for the for the headline that, that cut someone's throat there. It's quite a tough world to live in. Social Podcast Network.